Uh, for those of you joining us, welcome. What a joy to have uh, you in the house today. And for those of you joining us online, whether from Facebook, newlife.nyc, or YouTube, uh, just thrilled that you're worshiping with us. My name is Rich. I'm the lead pastor here at New Life Fellowship Church in Queens, New York City. And if you're new to our church and we've never met before, I'll be downstairs in the lobby area. Uh, and so please introduce yourself. Some of our pastors will be downstairs as well. And uh, we'd love to get to know you before you head out of this building. We are continuing our series, our Lenten series through the book of Jonah. Uh, last week we went through the prayer of Jonah and at the end of his prayer, after being in the fish for three days and three nights, he is vomited out, how gross, vomited out of the fish onto dry ground and the story continues. And so we pick up in chapter three, Jonah chapter three, beginning in verse number one, Hear the word of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a large city, a very large city. It took three days to go through it. But Jonah, uh, be Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city proclaiming 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. This is the proclamation he issued in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink. But let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. Let's pray together. Lord, uh, we've read your word. Now make your word come alive in our souls. Give us ears to hear, hearts to receive, eyes to see all you have for us this day. We pray these things in Christ's name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Lent is a season where the church focuses on the themes and practices of repentance. And while many make adjustments in their lives through fasting and such, it's very easy to repent and fast in such a way that makes no difference in our lives, which begs the question, are we really repenting? Are we really fasting? I heard of a story of a little boy who did not like the season of Lent because he did not want to give up anything, especially the things that he liked. And so every year his parents would say, what's something that you like that for the season of Lent you're going to go without? And he would have a hard time identifying the thing that he liked that he wanted to give up. And so one day, begrudgingly, he went up to his parents and said, I know what I will uh, fast from this year. I'm going to fast from candy, and the parents are very excited. Oh, our son loves candy. He's going to fast from candy. What a son. He's going to fast. He's going to give his time to God and give his energies to God. He's going to fast from candy. And resentfully and begrudgingly, the kids said, I'll fast from candy. A day or so later, this little boy would see his grandfather, and the grandfather was drinking beer during Lent. And he said, Grandpa, I thought you gave up liquor for Lent. And he said, no, son, I, I did not give up liquor for Lent. I gave up hard liquor for Lent. <laughs> and the little boy contemplated grandpa's uh, way of processing through Lent. And he said, then I will give up hard candy <laughs> for Lent. Lent is an opportunity every year to realign our hearts. That our appetites are to be moved towards God and away from our belly. It's meant to give us a life and lead us into a life that's marked by repentance. And yet this is so hard for us because repentance is a very hard word for many people in the church and outside of the church. 
It's a bad word that conjures up images, a bad word for many people that triggers people emotionally. Because when people hear of the word repent, they often think of religious and moral baggage. Now, typically, when we hear the word repent, it often conjures up images of, of moralism. We hear repent, and the image or the phrase that comes to mind is, clean up your dirty sins. Get away from those dirty sins and, and clean yourself up. We think about repentance and the guy on the subway who's holding up a particular sign that says, repent of these particular sins. And it's always those particular sins that the guy on the subway has in mind when he says to repent. And so to hear the word repentance is often heard through the lens of moralism and judgmentalism. And this is sad because repentance is one of the most beautiful words words in all of the Bible. Repentance is one of the most beautiful and urgent words in the Bible that speaks about God's amazing grace. And so what I want to do is reframe what repentance is for our lives and what it means to live repentant before the Lord. Now to repent very simply is to turn away from a life that's ruled by ourselves to a life that's ruled by God. To repent is to turn away from a life that's ruled by ourselves to a life that's ruled by God. And with this idea in mind, we come to Jonah chapter 3. Now, for those of you who have not been following the series, maybe this is your first time, this is week number four, we're in the series. I want to give a quick summary of where we've been, which gives us context on where we pick up today in chapter 3. The book of Jonah begins with God calling this prophet. A prophet is someone who speaks on behalf of God. And God has this message for the prophet Jonah. The word of the Lord comes to Jonah and the word says, I want you to go and preach to the people of Nineveh. Now, the people of Nineveh are known for their brutality. They're known for their violence. They're known for their wickedness. And so the word of the Lord comes to Jonah and the Bible says Jonah arose and went the other way. God said, I want you to go uptown. Jonah went downtown. He says, I'm not going to do it. I don't like those people. I'm not going to have anything to do with them. And so Jonah tries to flee from the presence of the Lord. He swipes his metro card, gets on the ship, and says, I'm going to do whatever I can to get away from the presence of the Lord, forgetting that wherever Jonah went, God was already there. Amen. And wherever we go, God's already there. And so Jonah gets on the ship. He tries to go to the lower deck to get as far as he possibly can from God. He goes to take a nap, but God's already there napping with him. And Jonah begins to fall asleep. And God sends a wind to shake up the ship to get Jonah's attention. And so the wind is sent, and the ship is now going to and fro, bring, breaking up. That's the phrase. And the people on the ship start crying out to God, calling upon God to save them, calling upon God, calling upon their gods to rescue them. But Jonah is sleeping at the bottom of the ship. And so the captain goes down to the lower deck. He, we need all hands on deck, all prayers on deck. And he begins to shake Jonah and says, get up and call on your God. And here's where we have something that the church needs to receive and listen to. Here we have a pagan shaking up the man of God, waking him up and telling him to pray. And sometimes, brothers and sisters, God will use the world around us to shake up the church, to say, wake up and pray. Sometimes God needs to use the world to rebuke the church. Amen. Amen, somebody. Sometimes God needs to use the world to shake up the church. Sometimes God needs to use the world to get the church to pray. And God rebukes the church often through the world. And so here uh, Jonah is sleeping. The captain says, get up and pray. And Jonah does not pray. They're praying. Jonah's not. And Jonah says, I know why you guys are in this situation. It's because of me. If you throw me over the side of the boat, all this will stop. And they say, we can't do that, man. That would not be a good. They keep calling on their gods. And a few minutes later, they realize their prayers are not working. And they say, brother, you got to go. And, and, so, and so they throw him over the side of the ship. And everything becomes quiet everything becomes calm at that moment 
Now Jonah gets to the sea and we don't know, is he, is, does he know how to swim? We don't know. We don't know how long he's there for. But as he is struggling in the water, a fish comes and swallows him. And now Jonah is in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. And Jonah is praying. And he's praying, but he finds himself in this in-between space. A space where he's not dead, but he's not alive. An in-between space, and, and we know what this is like. I mentioned last week, we know what it's like to not be dead but not be alive. To not have a, a spiritual life that's dead but not to have a spiritual life that's alive. To be in a marriage that's not dead but it's not alive. To be in a career that's not dead but it's not alive. We're in this in-between space. And so Jonah's in this in-between space. He prays for three days and three nights, and the fish I don't know, can't stand his prayers. It's, maybe it's a pagan fish, a, an unbelieving fish. And, and the fish says, and he vomits him out on dry ground. And here Jonah is now with just nastiness, slime, and grossness all over him, which is the picture of our lives off him. Jonah is now on dry ground. And when he gets on dry ground, we hear one of the most powerful verses in the entire Bible, a verse that summarizes the entire Bible, a verse that gets to the essence of the character of God throughout the Bible. And, and you missed it when I read it, because if you saw it and really received it when I read it, you would have said, amen, when I read it. So I'm going to give it to you again. <laughs> and when you get it, this should bring up praise from us, because it speaks about God's Grace and love, and it captures the essence of the Bible in one verse. Jonah chapter 3, verse 1, the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Sixty percent of the congregation got it. Let me read it again. Let me read it again. The essence of the Bible, the essence of God's grace, right here in verse number one, Jonah 3. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Uh, now you got it. Now you got it. Somebody say a second time. Aren't you glad for second times? Aren't you glad for another chance? Aren't you grateful for the patience of God? The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. God is the God of second chances. He's the God who does not give up on his people. The God who keeps coming back over and over and over again. To say a second time is, is a figure of speech that communicates that God's patience is unending. It's not to say, okay, a second time and there's no more times after this. It's figurative language to tell us about the patience of God, that God keeps coming and coming and coming. The word of the Lord came to Rich the 365th time. The word of the Lord came to you the 679th time. It speaks of God's patience towards God's people. God doesn't wait until our lives are fixed up before he calls us. God doesn't wait until we don't struggle with anything before he anoints us. God doesn't wait until we have our act together before he sends us. God comes and comes and comes. And so this time, the word of the Lord comes to Jonah a second time, and word for word, Jonah 3 and Jonah 1 are the same. Jonah arose, and this time he goes. He arose, and he goes. And he journeys towards Nineveh. He goes in the right direction. And Jonah begins to preach when he gets to Nineveh. And his message is a simple sermon. A very simple sermon. A sermon that you don't need much time to prepare for. When I get up and preach on Sundays, you know, I spend hours during the course of the week to find what are the right images, what are the right words, what do I want to say to the people of New Life Fellowship Church. And I prepare and I write and all that. For Jonah, Jonah didn't do any of that. It was a simple sermon, a sermon that could be given in three seconds. Jonah's 
word was very simply this. In 40 days, Nineveh will be overthrown. Amen. That's it. That's the sermon. In 40 days, Nineveh will be overthrown. And he drops the mic. And I notice something. There's no mention about God, God's character. No mention of sin. No mention of injustice. No mention of repentance. No mention of forgiveness. No mention of mercy. It's almost as if Jonah's not putting anything into this. In 40 days, Nineveh will be overthrown. And the strangest thing happens. They believe. They believe this message. They listen and they respond. The people's hearts get broken. Tears start flowing. The Spirit of God comes upon them. There's conviction of sin. There's national repentance. This is what every preacher dreams of. I dream about this moment as a preacher. A short message and everybody is just crying out to God. This is a preacher's dream. And we're going to find out that Jonah wasn't even happy about this. Now again, we must see something about God's mercy all throughout the book of Jonah because Jonah has gotten everything wrong. And yet God has used all the things he's gotten wrong to bring about change around him. The pagans on the ship turn to, the, to, the, to, the, to Yahweh. Now these people are repenting in Nineveh. They believe. They repent. Everyone and everything. And the king hears about this and begins to create new policies. And listen to the reason why the king was so shaken up. They believed, and the king believed, that God's judgment of evil and violence was real. They believed that God's judgment of evil and violence was real. And you know what? It is real. And a word needs to be said about it. There is plenty of sin to go around. And plenty of sin to talk about the other 51 weeks of the year. But the king shows us here for our text today what we should be focused on. The king knows that God's judgment is coming because of their violence. God's judgment is coming because of violence. And listen, God's judgment is coming against the violence we see. To do violence against another person is one of the greatest, if not the greatest, violations of God's character. The violence we see against the people in Ukraine is violation against the character of God. The violence we see, the gun violence we see, is violation against the character of God. The violence we see against our Asian sisters and brothers is violation against the character of God. The violence that women experience at the hand of their boyfriends, amen, at the hands of their husbands, the intimidation, the manipulation, the fear that's put in their hearts, God's judgments is coming because it is a violation of the character of God. And just to be clear, you don't have to hit someone to do violence against them. When we demonize another with our words, when we repeatedly wound other people with our words, we are doing violence against them, and God will judge the world of its violence. Here's the thing. Christians, we believe Jesus Christ has taken on our sin. Jesus Christ has been judged in our place. Amen. We receive it. We confess it. We believe it. And judgment is still coming. Judgment is still coming for the church. Judgment is still coming for the world. 
And so when I hear that, I shouldn't go, that's right, God, go get them. What I should be saying is, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, a sinner. That we're all in the same boat here. I can't tell you how God's going to do it. But make no mistake about it, judgment is coming. The king will judge in righteousness. The king will judge in wisdom. The king will judge in love. But judgment is coming. The people of Nineveh felt this. And they repent. And what I want to do for the rest of our time is focus on what repentance means, what it looks like. What does repentance mean from the perspective of Jonah? What does repentance mean from the perspective of the Ninevites? What does repentance mean for us? Jonah, Nineveh, us. First of all, let's focus on Jonah. What does repentance look like? Jonah shows us that repentance goes deeper than feelings. Jonah's repentance went deeper than his feelings. Repentance is turning towards God and doing God's will. Here it is. Whether you feel like it or not. Repentance is turning towards God and doing God's will whether you feel like it or not. Now look, when Jonah was vomited out of the fish, he was saved. But the assignment didn't change. God said, I still have you doing what you're supposed to do. And when God saves us, he aims us in a particular direction and calls us to walk. This is repentance. This is obedience. And what's important to note about repentance is this. It rarely, if ever, feels good. Can I get a witness here? I, 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 it rarely, if ever, feels Good. It doesn't feel good. And look what happens with Jonah. Jonah has to walk a long distance. Now, there's difference of opinion here, but this is what the text says. The text says that Jonah walked through Nineveh for three days. That's how big the city was. He walks through Nineveh for three days. But it doesn't say how long it took to get to Nineveh. When he gets to Nineveh, it's three days. But it doesn't say how long it took to get to Nineveh in the text. Scholars say that it could be up to, hear this, 500 miles from where Jonah was vomited out of the fish to get to Nineveh. 500 miles. That's New York City to North Carolina. 500 miles. Walk. And Jonah says, but my car's in the shop. It's a, 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 a walk. <laughs> but there's no trains. Walk. I don't have enough money for the Uber. Or oh, you start walking, walking. 500 miles. Jonah walks. And, and this reminds us something about repentance. Repentance is a long journey. No, repentance is a lifelong journey. The German theologian Martin Luther said that all of life is repentance. Listen, you were made for union with God. You were made for communion with God. You were made to be in relationship with God. I was made for communion, union, relationship with God. But every single day, we are pulled away from communion with God. And it doesn't take much. When I get up in the morning and pray and, and, and I'm feeling the Holy Spirit and God's moving and I say, amen, Lord, and I start my day, it give me 10 minutes and my heart is already moving away from God. It doesn't take much to move away, which is why repentance is a lifelong journey that every single day I'm distracted. Every single day, the power of the flesh, the power of the world, the powers and principalities, the evil one are trying to pull me away from communion with God and union with God and relationship with God. And so repentance is this ongoing, ongoing, ongoing turning back to God. And it's a lifelong 
journey. Every day I need to repent. Every hour I need to repent. Every two minutes I need to repent. Because it's easy to want to just go back to Tarshish, where Jonah went immediately. Which is why I love the AA community. I love the the NA community. When you go to AA meetings, we learn so much from these brothers and sisters. When they introduce themselves and say, hi, my name is so-and-so, and I'm an alcoholic, even if they haven't tasted liquor for 20 years, it's as if they are confessing in front of everyone, I know how weak I am. And I need to remind myself how weak I am, that I can turn in a New York second. Therefore, I am struggling. I need the grace of God. This is repentance, consistently orienting ourselves back to God. And if you don't feel that tug, if you don't feel that pull, if you don't think that you can turn in a New York second yourself, you're not familiar with your own heart. I'm familiar with my, I know I can, in a dime just like that. I can go from listening to praise music in the car to giving you a piece of my mind if you cut me off in a second. Come on, somebody. I'm not the only one here. Uh, don't, don't get all holy on me here. No, no, you too. Jaira, you are enough. Excuse me, what are you doing here? And so we see in Jonah that his repentance goes deeper than his feelings. And this is important for us because we live in a society that says, if it doesn't feel good, don't do it. That you are to be governed by your appetites. If it feels good, it must be good. Which is why the season of Lent is so important. Because Lent reminds us that a life that's governed by our appetites, ultimately leads us spiritually famished. A life that's governed by our appetites ultimately leads us to be spiritually famished. That spiritual growth requires us to do the hard thing. I'm reminded, there's there's a professor named Willie James Jennings. He's out of Yale University. He wrote a commentary in the book of Acts, and he made this wonderful observation about the book of Acts, that when the Holy Spirit comes on the people of God, we find this interesting dynamic. And this is what he says in his commentary on the book of Acts. He says, the sign of the Spirit's coming in the book of Acts is that the Spirit is drawing together people who don't want to be together. And then here's the line. Almost everybody in the book of Acts is doing what they don't want to do. Read the book. Almost everyone in the book of Acts is doing what they don't want to do. The Lord says, I want you to go to preach to all the nations. They say, we're not going anywhere. We're going to stay right here. God says, eat that food. We're not going to eat that. Forgive that person. Not going to do it. Almost everyone in the book of Acts is doing what they don't want to do. People often think that that following Jesus, you're supposed to feel it first before you step out in obedience. People think that that praying for their enemies, praying for people, which Jesus calls us to do, and praying for people that you have a hard time loving, that it's supposed to feel good. But praying for enemies or doing the hard stuff Jesus calls us to is not a matter of feeling good. We don't pray for enemies because it feels good. We pray because God calls us to be different than the world. When when I pray, I want to tell you, can I confess something? When I pray, 95 to 97% of the time, I don't feel like praying. Now, the pastor, I, I know what you're getting at here. I just want to clear, I don't have a special anointing because I'm the pastor. That when I get up in the morning, I go, I just want to praise the Lord and pray. And, oh, come on, Lord. No, no, I don't have a particular gifting that you don't have. That when I wake up and say, oh, it's time to pray. I just, oh, let me get my coffee for, I just cannot wait. The vast majority of the time, I don't want to pray. I'd rather do something else. 
I'd rather watch TV. I'd rather play video games. I'd rather go for a walk. I'd rather play basketball. I'd rather do a whole lot of other things than to pray. When I give generously, it hurts. <laughs> I don't have a special anointing on my life because I'm the pastor, because I'm a man of God, that when I go, it's time to give generously. Oh, praise the Lord. I just cannot wait to give generously. I'm thinking, oh, how are we going to pay for this? And, oh, I don't know if I should do it. And, oh, is God going to provide my needs? And, and, and then I give. When I think about reading the Bible, when I think about praying for my enemies, when I think about doing a whole lot of stuff, I don't feel good doing it. And this is what Jesus calls us to, you know, it's interesting. Christianity is often, I'm confused by our confusion. That when Jesus says to follow him, it's hard. Jesus, our Lord Jesus says, whoever's going to follow me needs to take up their cross. He's not talking about gold chains. <laughs> Amen. I, he's not talking about the bling. He, he's talking, take up your cross. This is hard. Take up your cross and follow me. And one of the biggest challenges of living a spiritually healthy life is waiting until we feel holy enough and good enough to do what God has called us to do. Every night, we have this repeated thing in our home. Every single night. It's about 7.45, 8 o'clock, and our son has been playing, and his toys are all over the place. All over the living room, everywhere. And we go, son, it's time to clean up. And every single night, he says, I don't feel like cleaning up. <laughs> and it's a wonderful opportunity for discipleship. Because <laughs> I got to tell him, you know what I don't feel like doing? I don't always feel like making you guys breakfast. I don't always feel like telling you what to do. I don't always feel like going grocery shopping. I don't always feel like doing the laundry. I don't always feel like making the bed. I don't always feel like doing a whole lot of stuff. And the same applies to our relationship with God. Jonah doesn't wait until he feels good. He was never going to feel good. But repentance says, I, I am called to follow God even though I don't feel. Let me just get to Nineveh. Nineveh repents in a, their own way. Jonah's repentance goes deeper than his feelings. Nineveh's repentance went deeper than their words. The people of Nineveh didn't just feel remorse. And they just didn't say that they were sorry. They put actions to their convictions. First of all, it says they fast. They fast. The king hears the news. Judgment's coming with fasting. And, and the king says, everybody's fasting. Even the animals are fasting. Could you imagine if you were a dog in Nineveh? I mean, sorry, no food for you today. What did I do? <laughs> what did I do? You guys are killing people. I'm not doing anything. Haven't killed a dog in my life. And I can't eat. The kid says, nobody's eating. We're fasting. Everybody's turning to God. Dogs are turning to God. Cattle's turning to God. Everybody is turning to God. They put sackcloth on. They, and then the king creates a policy. The policy is no one's eating and we must turn from the way of violence. And this is a decree from the playgrounds all the way up into the courtroom of the king. We are putting away violence in our nation. He institutionalizes it. He says this is not just a matter of words. This is not just a matter of souls. This is a matter of the very systems and structures of our society. Everybody is repenting. And we see that repentance for them went more than words and went beyond remorse. I love this image. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, German theologian of the uh, mid-1900s, he says this wonderful phrase that many of us New York City subway riders can get. He says, if you board the wrong train, 
it is no use running along the corridor in the other direction. <laughs> if you're supposed to go uptown, but you got into downtown, it makes no sense. The train is taking you downtown for you to walk. It's not doing anything for you. You're still going downtown. That's remorse. That's saying, I'm sorry. We go this way, but the train is still taking. Repentance is not moving along the corridor. Repentance is get off the train. Go uptown. Go walk to the other side. Get on the other train. That's repentance. I'm putting actions to my words, which is why we must delineate, separate confession from repentance. Confession is to lead to repentance, not replace, not replace repentance. One of the dangerous things that we do at church, one of the most beautiful things that we do at church, is pray a prayer of confession every Sunday. When we pray a prayer of confession and we say it out loud, we're essentially saying we are all sinners in need of the grace of God. We're all in the same boat. And let's say it together. We're all in the same boat. That's what we're saying. But the danger of confession in this way is to think that because I confess that way, my work is done. I confessed. My work is done. And it, confession becomes deceptive because you think and I think that the work is actually done when in fact the work is just beginning. And so confession is to lead to repentance. The question is what does this look like? What actual changes, realignments of our lives is required to go from confession to repentance? What does it look like to repent of greed. Well, it means that we start actually practicing generosity. What does it mean to repent of our disgust for another political party? It might mean to stop watching cable television news. What does it mean to repent of our indifference to the poor? It might mean to start volunteering with our CDC. What does it mean to repent of secret sin? It might mean that we confess it to an actual person in real time and get some help for it. What does it mean for us who are so distracted, more than just saying sorry, more than just saying I need to do better, what are the actual changes that need to be made to show that I'm not just confessing, I'm repenting? And so the Ninevites don't just confess, they repent. And they are a model for us of what confession and repentance looks like. Let me wrap it up with this. One of the things I want to end with focusing on something that I just can't get enough of in this Bible. And can't get enough of in this book of Jonah. I can't get enough of reflecting and contemplating on this truth. That God longs to rescue the people of Nineveh. I can't get it out of my head. These people are known for their violence. These people are known for their wickedness. God is interested in Nineveh, and this is good news for all of us. Those of you watching online, those of you in this room, this is good news for all of us, and it reminds us, listen, there's no place too dark that God won't go. No place. And no place too hopeless that God can't save. No place too dark that God won't go. And no place too hopeless that God can't save. And some of you came into church, some of you are watching online, and you're thinking, my struggles, my addictions, my secret sins, my darkness. There's, it's just too deep and too dark for God. No, 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 there's good news. We see in the book of Jonah, there's new place, no place too dark that God won't go, and no place too hopeless that God can't save. And, and, and what we're reminded of as Christians is that God demonstrates this through our Lord Jesus Christ. Our Lord Jesus Christ goes to the darkest places and goes to the places where it seems that there's no hope. Our Lord Jesus Christ has obedience beyond words and obedience beyond feelings. Trust me, he did not want to go to the cross. He said it. Father, if there's any way that this cup, this cup can pass, can it pass? Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Jesus Christ goes beyond good feelings. He goes beyond words to die for you and I. 
and hear the word of the gospel. Jonah's word was in 40 days, all this is being overthrown. Our Lord says, I will be overthrown on your behalf. I will die on your behalf. I will be wounded on your behalf. I will, be, I'll, I will experience death on your behalf. Why? So that you can experience the life that I have for you. And as people in this room, people watching online, the invitation this day is to say yes to that saving love over and over and over again. And we are reminded about repentance. Let's have the worship team come forward. We're reminded about repentance, this truth. We don't repent to get God's grace. We've already received God's grace. Therefore, we repent. It is the kindness of God that leads to repentance. And so hear this. God's grace has already come your way. It's already been poured out in Jesus Christ. Next question is, having received it, how do we live in light of it? And that's the invitation for all of us on this Sunday. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on us sinners. Lord, we have so often chosen the way of violence. We have been so shaped by the world. And yet you call us to be different from the world. Lord, we give you praise because you are the God of the second chance. You are the God who sends the word a second time. May we receive that good news. And may we align our lives to it. May we not just confess. May we repent. May we return. And so we sing to you now these words of confession, these words of repentance. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's all stand together. Let's sing.
Let's have our prayer team come to my, to my right. Listen, there's no place too dark that God won't go. No place too hopeless that God can't see. That's good news for all of us in this room, good news for those of us watching online. Every Sunday, we gather as the people of God to repent, to turn our hearts towards God, to turn our lives toward Jesus Christ, to turn our lives towards the one who's always fixing his eyes on us. There's never a moment where God is turned away from you. It's we who turn away from God. God's love is steadfast. It's everlasting. It's fixed on you. But he invites us to turn our eyes towards him. That's what we do when we come up for prayer. And what we need for a life of repentance is the community of God. We need one another. Uh, some of you, you've been trying to repent on your own, trying to go in another direction on your own, and find yourself repeating the same vicious cycle over and over and over again. Repentance is not a solo thing. It's a community thing. We need one another. We need to confess our sins and need people to walk with us and journey with us as we keep moving towards God. And so maybe you came into church today and you're struggling. Maybe you even know what God's will is and you're struggling with it. And you need grace, courage, the anointing of the Holy Spirit to give you everything you need to do what God has called you to do. And we want to pray for you and let you know that you're, we're with you. If you're in this room and maybe watching online, uh, some of you, the invitation is to repent again, to turn towards Jesus for the first time. Maybe you've never turned towards Jesus to receive forgiveness of sins, to receive the Holy Spirit, to receive everlasting life. And today, something in your soul is just bubbling up saying, I want that joy, I want that hope, I want that peace, I want forgiveness. And if that's you, we want to serve you. You can very simply uh, come up for prayer. You can also text the phrase, yes to Jesus. To that number on the screen, whether you're in the room or on, online, 718-424-0122. And one of our pastors would love to follow up with you and help you take your next step as you move towards God. At the end of our uh, sermon today, we'll have our service, we'll have a, a sermon discussion time, and so feel free to join us for about 30 minutes if you want to just discuss with others process out loud, maybe what God is speaking to you. And so you can follow the link, especially if for those of you watching online, follow the link on the screen. Let me invite you to open your hands towards heaven. I'm so grateful for the God of the second chance. The God who sends the word a second time. God's grace keeps coming. And the invitation is for us to then arise and go. And I want to pray that the Holy Spirit would give you grace and courage and mercy to be who God has called you to be and to do what God has called you to do. And so with your hands and your hearts in a posture of receiving, brothers and sisters, sons and daughters of the living God, may the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face to shine upon you and fill you with peace. May you walk out of this building and out of this online gathering in the power of the Holy Spirit to be who God has called you to be and to do what God has called you to do. And through your repentance, may others come to repentance, turning their lives to the Lord Jesus Christ. I bless you all in the strong, in the beautiful, in the healing name of Jesus. And everyone said, amen. Grace and peace.